ignore the self-doubt. I had so much self-doubt about why I was in the room, if I deserved to be in the room, if I was just as good as everybody else in the room. And I think because of that, I probably wasn't as assertive or aggressive in opportunities that could have otherwise been available to me. If you are in the room, take advantage of being in the room. Take whatever opportunity is there. Ignore any doubt that's telling you why you got in the room. It's not because of pity. It's not because of your gender. You're in the room for a reason. And that is, I wish I had ignored self-doubt a bit more growing up. And then the other piece that I would say, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I work in an office full of incredibly intelligent people who have multiple PhDs and all of this. But what I do know is I will work just as hard, if not harder than anybody else in the room, and I will commit and complete a task and project. And so you don't have to be the smartest person to be successful. I think hard work and being dedicated and fulfilling your commitments is just as, if not more important than how smart you might be in any technical skill. And I love people on my team and I love working with people who take the initiative. They sit there and say, okay, what is it we're trying to solve and how can I help you do that? And not just, oh, you asked me to do this. I'm just going to do that. And I really think that's part of the things that I've just inherently done. But as I work with women, I tend to think, I'm not trying to stereotype people into certain categories, but the women I have worked with have a really good understanding of how to solve problems. I don't know if it's women who just because they've been taking care of kids or not, but they can see something from start to finish and how to accomplish something. That is a great skill. It doesn't matter what field you're in, but being able to see how something works from start to finish and accomplishing it you'll be successful in whatever industry you are if you can prove that you can do that time and time again. So that's my advice to people is just hard work is what you really need. You're listening to Flipping the Barrel podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your host, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Barrel, a podcast where we interview energy leaders in the space to uncover and find out more about their career and their life journeys. Today on the podcast, we have Whitney Eaton. She is the EVP People and Sustainability at TGS, and she has spearheaded TGS's ESG strategy and sustainability reporting since she joined the company in 2014. Her background includes over 15 years of legal experience with significant knowledge on implementing and managing holistic corporate programs, such as compliance and ESG, particularly within the energy industry. She was born and raised in Texas in a family with a history in the Houston energy industry, is the daughter to two amazing parents who raised her with the belief that women could truly accomplish anything that they want, is the proud but exhausted mother to her curious and strong-willed six-year-old son and four-year-old daughter, and the grateful wife to a partner who encourages and supports her career. Whitney, we can't wait to find out more about you, your career and your life journey. And just by reading the bio, I can tell that your parents did an amazing job at instilling that in you at a young age, that you truly can do anything. And I think it truly showcases that you really can. So we can't wait to dig in a little bit into your story. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to be given this opportunity. I think what you two are doing is really great, not just for women, but really for everyone in the industry to learn from and to grow from. So thank you. 
Thanks, Whitney. That means a lot to us. And we really want to start out discussing more about your parents. You know, you mentioned in your bio what they meant to you, but you really grew up in a household where both your parents share the responsibility of raising you, despite your mother being the primary breadwinner, which seems to be even more common these days, must have had a significant impact on your perception of gender roles and family dynamics. Because in the very, you know, early stages, people didn't really have that perception of the mother really having, you know, being the breadwinner in the family at that time. And so, and your mom was, so it was definitely not as I would say as acceptable as it is today in today's society. Can you tell us more about how this experience shaped you and also what influenced you to take the path in the energy industry? No, yes. So I am incredibly grateful to my parents because they set kind of this framework or this template where I didn't realize or from a very early age, I never realized that there were people who perceived limitations on the roles women could do, or even the roles men could do. Both of my parents raised both of our kids, both me and my sister. My dad would be the one who would take us to school while my mom was working. He actually went back halfway through to become a teacher, which is another situation at the time of particularly defying, I guess, traditional gender norms. And so it never occurred to me from a very early age on that there were people would place limitations on what I could do because I was a woman or that there were only certain roles I could do as a woman. And so from an early age, I just was like, if I want to do it, I'm going to do it. Like this is really, and my parents supported that. They encouraged that. My dad, we're a big tennis family and my dad, some of his favorite tennis players were female tennis players. And I can't think of another male that I know who would advocate a female athlete or, you know, be like, oh, this is a great athlete in and of itself. And so in my world and with my parents, it was always, you're who you are and you can do what you want. And gender isn't not relevant, but it's not a limitation. And that's something that both my husband and I today also very firmly believe. We are equal partners in raising our kids. I think people sometimes think women have an inherent knowledge on what it is to raise a kid. Mm -hmm. I've been very candid with my husband that I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm Googling just as much as he is for asking people. And that really helps. I mean, parental leave was a big part of that. He got with our son. He was given the opportunity early on to spend a month at home with our son while I went back to work. And that really, if you've been home alone with an infant, you know it's a lot of work and you know what has to be done. And having both parents go through that, we both know what to do. And so there's no, oh, well, I don't know what I'm doing because you've been doing that the whole time. And so Mm -hmm. really, because my parents set that stage, my husband and I have the same belief, we very much, it's a partnership and there's nothing that's inherently I have to do versus he has to do or vice versa. And I think that's, I was very blessed to have a family that set those values and very blessed to find a partner who shares those values. And I think it's also really kind of helped me in my career and that I just didn't view it as limitation growing up. So, yeah. It really shows the impact that your parents can truly have on you as well as how they raise you to believe even just the fact that you could split it 50, 50 or that you can also have the same career that your brother did, or even your daughter and your son, you're setting them up that they could both achieve the same thing. So it's really crucial how you parent. So, you know, for all the young listeners, this is crucial. And what I'm happy though, is in 2023, things are becoming a lot more normal. Like Jamie was saying, where it's both men and women are parents. They're both 
taking paternity leave, maternity leave, helping each other out and versus compared to the olden days. And so it's really nice to see that we're all progressing in that way. So we wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, mental health. I'm glad as well that it's a subject that companies and corporate America, et cetera, are more open to talk about versus in the past. And so, you know, your family was also very supportive around this topic. Not a lot of people necessarily get this, but you did. So you've been open about your struggles with anxiety and just how your family has helped you through it. And even from a young age, they were open to talk about it, how you were feeling, etc. And so, you know, as someone who's experienced this firsthand, you know, what kind of advice do you have for allies who want to support their loved ones who are dealing with this type of, you know, mental health issues? <laughs> So I think first and foremost, we have to remove the stigma that mental health is something is wrong with somebody. Mm -hmm. Mental health is the same as physical health. I have struggled, as I said, with anxiety for most of my life. I had a great childhood. There wasn't any particular bad thing that happened. I was born this way, the same way people might be born with allergies or bad vision or something else. This is just something that I have to deal with and learn and to adapt from. And my family has always been, it was a struggle at first to understand this because we're talking 80s, 90s, mental health wasn't (laughs) something you talked about. Or if you went to therapy, it was because something horrible happened to you. Nothing horrible. I mean, we went to therapy. I'm a big advocate of therapy. I view it the same way as your physical health. So let's say I have a cough. I might take some over-the-counter medicine or something and, you know, rest for a day or two. If it gets worse, I'm going to go to a doctor. And then if it gets really worse, I might go to a hospital. And I think we have to view mental health the same way. Everybody might have a bad day. You might have a day where you just don't feel up to doing something. That's fine. That's normal. Everybody has those. If you start consistently having that, then you need to get help. This isn't something you need to figure out on your own. You wouldn't figure out a cold or a flu on your own. So you shouldn't have to do the same with your mental health. And I think we need to recognize that. I try to be very aware with my team. I think mental health days, whatever you want to call it, are just as important as physical health days, if you will. And we have to take the breaks. We have to recognize it. I'm a big believer in therapy in terms of just going and finding a doctor and talking to and encouraging it just because it gives you a sounding board and it can help normalize what you are going through and make you feel less alone. And so for me, it's just the biggest thing we as allies can do that I can do as either a leader in my organization or with my family and friends is encourage people to get the support they need and not stigmatize it and not treat it like there's something wrong with doing that. I really think I just I'm a huge advocate of just taking care of your mental health the same way you would take care of your physical health. I wish insurance companies and more companies recognize that and therapy was better covered under insurance. That is something I think we still need to work for as a society. But I do think, you know, companies are getting better and there's still a lot of work to be done about recognizing that mental health and having the time to take care of yourself and sort through whatever you're dealing with is important and understanding why you might be going through something. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember, so I got married, we had our son and we bought our house all within a year of each other. And these were all really big events and they were all very exciting events. And I remember after they all happened, I had this lull where I was just really like, not upset, but I just wasn't excited about anything. And I was talking to a therapist and they said, yes, it is extremely common after you go through major social exciting events like that for you to have a dip in your energy level or your emotion. 
and just talking to someone who sit there and said, what you're going through is normal. There's nothing wrong with you. This is normal. Here's how you can cope. It's phenomenal. And this is, you know, we're not talking like anything horribly tragic, but understanding Mm -hmm. that balance and having access to those resources, I think is incredibly important for people. And so I encourage people to talk to someone, whether or not you have anxiety, I think therapy can be beneficial. Today's episode is brought to you by Veril Energy Solutions. Did you know that Veril has been around since 1947? They're originally known for their drill bits, but through several acquisitions, investments, and rebranding, they now offer a diversified portfolio in drilling and completions. One of their core competencies is actually global manufacturing of consumable downhole products. They solve the industry supply chain problems. We've chosen to partner with Veril because they simply get it. They focus on their employees, they're committed to diversity and inclusion, and they know their only true sustainable advantage is their people. To learn more and stay up to date, please go to www.veril.com. Veril Energy Solutions, beyond technology, beyond normal. I'm just so glad you broke it down in that way. I really like your approach on like, yeah, if you had a cold, you would take some over-counter medicine if it got worse. And it's so true because yes, we all do go through a time where we're like, oh God, today's just not the day. That doesn't exactly mean right directly you have depression. It's just like, yeah, we all go through those. But a lot of times we don't know how, we don't know what other people are experiencing. And if we don't talk about it, we think we're abnormal when to your point, it's very normal, especially when you go through life-changing events, like you mentioned, getting married, having a child, all of those things are going to bring very different emotions. And if you're not talking to people about it, then you're going to feel alone. So I just think it's really important. And I really love the way that you describe that. So thank you so much, Whitney, for sharing. Let's talk about your college journey. Let's go back 20 years ago or however long it was, and let's bring that back up. You started out studying public communications, and then you ended up going to law school and you fell in love with DC. Looking back, you mentioned that you would do things differently when we spoke with you last. And if you could, you would also try to normalize real world experiences before making a big decision like studying for a specific career. Looking back on that now, what kind of advice would you give to those listening? If you knew kind of the experience that you went through taking that feedback, what would you have done differently? I would have picked a completely different degree. I loved my college. I thought it was great. I would have picked a completely different degree. I grew up in an environment where I went to a very good public school, but everybody who went to school went to college. That was just what you did. And so your entire junior high, high school experience is geared towards the end result of going to college. And then you get to college and you're like, okay, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I've been focusing on getting to college and I don't know what's out there. And not only do you know what, not know what jobs are out there, you don't know the implications or the lifestyles associated with certain jobs or careers. And so I really think we put a lot of pressure on kids to get to college, but we don't really tell them what the real world is like. And then we dump them in an environment that has you know, fewer restrictions. You don't have necessarily a family or support system there. You don't really have a told end goal of like in high school where your goal is to get to college. And we're like, just figure out what you want to do with your life. I picked public communication because it sounded like a cool major. And I liked what some of the course titles were. 
I got very lucky in choosing law school and that law school was the right fit for me. I have a lot of friends and I have family members who did the same as me, worked their way, got to college, and then were like, I don't know what to do and either dropped out or weren't successful initially and then spent a couple of years working, spent a couple of years out in the world and then went back to college or went back to a different learning environment to figure out what they wanted to do and do that. So I think we need to realize college is not and should not be the end result for everybody. And it may not be something we should be doing right after high school. There is nothing wrong with spending a year or two after high school out in the real world, learning a trade, working, doing something else, and then making a conscious decision of where you want to go to school and what you want to do. Because I think right now we force people into making decisions when they're not fully informed. And I got lucky, but I know a lot of people who struggled a lot more in their 20s than they probably would have if they had been given a true opportunity. I mean, we kind of there's a negative bias towards not going to college that I think we just need to eliminate. Mm -hmm. There's a negative bias towards people who take a break between their learning to either live their lives or experience something different. All of those experiences are just as valid as a college education, mm -hmm. if not more so. And there's a lot of things you can learn without being in college that will make you a very successful and fulfilled person in life that I think we need to import. So I kind of, I don't really practice what I preach in terms of, I got very lucky, but I got very lucky with law school. I mean, college was four years of me growing socially, but not really advancing myself professionally. And if I'd gone back, I would, now I would pick completely different degrees, knowing where I'm at now and than I did then. But for a lot of people, I think we just need to realize and schools need to, if we could do a 13th year where you just worked and not like in an internship where they give you a sanitized version of what the job is going to be like. Yeah, I think that would help. Like you would see, oh, you know, my husband, he's a big communication. He actually should have done the communications major, but he wanted to do broadcasting. And I was like, you'd be great at broadcasting, but there's not really a career market out there right now. I mean, it's, it's a very difficult area to get into. Mm -hmm. And so you need to also know the implications of the degrees and the jobs you're getting and the job and the lifestyle you would get afterwards. And I think that's just as important. So we can't really sanitize that whatever degree you get, you're going to have a great job. That's, mm -hmm. that's really not true. So that's, I don't know, that's kind of my thoughts on that. Well, I echo everything you're saying because everyone listening at some point when they're picking even their degree, a lot of us, I'd say a good majority of us didn't know what we were going to do or even what does an engineer do? What is a, you think you know what a lawyer does, but once you actually go work at a practice, you're like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, right? So it's a big shock for a lot of us. So I do love what you're saying about just getting real life experience because the real world is very different. And that's yeah. where you quickly realize, do I want to manage people? Do I want to talk to people? Do I rather be behind a computer? And so. I agree. I think that's a really good way to look at life and maybe for our own future kids, instead of pushing them to go to college right away, it could even be some advice that we would give them. So talking about just corporate and with all your experience that you've had, especially now as EVP of people and being part of ESG for so long, you know, how is it important for you when you were, you know, climbing up the corporate ladder to work for a company that values diversity and equality, especially when it comes to women in leadership positions, which is rare 
in the back in the day and still a little rare now, but getting better to see women in those leadership positions when you're going to go work somewhere. I'm sure there are a lot of women will research and say, okay, how many women are at the top? How many women managers? It's very important for us to see that representation. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of over your span of your career, how you kind of managed depending on what you saw in leadership when you went to work somewhere? Yeah. So I purposely looked for places that had women, not just women in their organization, but women in leadership roles. They would provide you female mentors. I think male mentors are just as important too. I think a lot, the more mentors you have, the better. But I wanted a company that promoted women as equally as men. And there's ways you can do all the research online. But one of the things I would look at in a lot of the companies, when I would go to interview, in interviewing at law firms, you interview six to eight people generally at first. If I didn't talk to a single female out of those six to eight people at a law firm, that's problematic. I mean, you can't find someone I can talk to or all the women only legal assistants. I mean, because there's things I will ask a female employer that I would not ask a male employer. What is your parental leave policy? Do you actually encourage it? How are women promoted? What are these, you know, there's things that you can ask, but frankly, I would guess most guys don't know what a parental leave policy is for women and their company unless they have, they're either have, about to have a kid or their wife has gone through it. And so it's important to me when I'm going to a company that I find people that I can relate to and talk to, whether it's in leadership positions, but also in the departments I'm in. And so I've always done that. And then I think it's also important. And I was really lucky when I interviewed at TGS, my first interview was with our general counsel and the then executive in charge of HR, both of whom were women. And it's just it's a subconscious thing, but there is just something about walking into a room being interviewed by executives who are female. And I think a lot of men maybe take it for granted that when they walk into a room, there's going to be somebody like them in that room. There's not always going to be. And I've been in situations where there aren't. It's not bad. You can make it work, but it's just nice knowing that there's somebody there who's been through something like you and got to where they're at. And I think, so you're not going to find diversity in every organization. You're not going to find the perfect workforce, but I do think it is important for people to find places where they can relate to the employees they're working with in whatever fashion, whether it's gender, race, sexuality, parenthood, age, all of these things. I think you need a company that embraces people like you. And that's, I think, important. And I've also been extremely lucky with the mentors I've had. Both male and female have just been, have not taken gender into account. One of the first partners I worked for, he was a young father and I was single. And so I didn't have kids. So very different experience. But he basically said, look, I'm going to come into the office at seven every day. I'm going to leave at six. This is my schedule. You don't have to follow my schedule. You follow the schedule that works for you. I will be available as you need me to be available and you will be available as I need to be available, but we don't have the same lifestyle and I don't expect you to live my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that and supporting that was incredibly helpful, even though I didn't have kids and I didn't need all the flexibility that a new parent might need, recognizing that there was someone who's been in that situation and is going through it, I think important. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technip FMC. Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward, and they back that belief. 
Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition, emerging materials, and digital industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like iProduction, iComplete, eMission, and iEPCI, go to technipfmc.com. And now, back to the show. What I like is that you touched on a few things. One, it's nice to be in a situation where there's other people in the room that look like you, but at the same time, there can be opportunities where you might be the first in that organization. And if you're the first and you have male supporters, I don't think that there's a less of an opportunity for you to succeed. And you had seen that throughout your career. There had been opportunities where maybe that you were the first one as far as a woman in that group, but the men supported you. And so I think that sometimes we might not always be able to be interviewed or or be the whole executive team is female, especially in the energy industry, but there is a lot of male advocacy and it's finding those right advocates for you. And I think we all have the opportunity to do that. So, And I'm sorry, to that point, actually, there's some, I do want to point out, so the first person being in the room. So parental leave, I've said it a couple of times here, that's a very big issue for me in terms of having paid parental leave for new parents, both the birth mother and the non-birth parent. And when I first joined TGS, we didn't in the US have a paid parental leave policy. And I went through went through it at the company with both of my kids with the policy we had, which is very what well, was very standard in the energy industry. And afterwards, when I got up to the executive or actually the VP position, I was like, we've got to change this. And I had an executive at the time who was in favor of it. And so I did a whole analysis. I go through all the costs, why we have to do a paid policy and everything. I walk into our CEO's office and he was like, we don't do that. Like, we should absolutely do that. Like, this is what we should do. And I realized I was the only person who had been at the VP or executive level who had been through our parental leave policy. So it wasn't that they weren't open to it. They just, nobody had experienced Mm -hmm. it. And so no one thought to raise it. And so my only regret is I wish I had said something before I had my kids. But I mean, like, it's one of those things where I do think you are right. If you are the first person in the room, take advantage of that and find out what was a struggle for you that you might be able to shed light on for the other people in the room to understand because it's not that they may not be opposed to it they just may, may not, not realize yeah mm-hmm. and so that's important I think so yeah that really brings us into our next question which <laughs> is around you actually receiving a promotion while on maternity leave with your second child which I would say for a lot of people, it's a really difficult time. It's just getting pregnant and then going on maternity leave and then thinking that you might lose your, I mean, there's yeah. always these negative thoughts that women yes. have, and we're really trying to debunk that by 2023. Hopefully by next year, 2024, we're not thinking it anymore, but can you share with us like how your company supported you as a working parent too, because you'll dual yeah. career and what advice you would give to those parents that are you know, new to the parenting world, or maybe even going through this right now? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the anxiety because I had such horrible anxiety that I would be replaced while I was on maternity leave and then they wouldn't need me anymore. And I had at the time I was a compliance officer and we had only one compliance function. So it was just me. So both times I went on leave, it wasn't like I had a colleague in compliance who could pick up my load. 
And so I would have to train somebody else in the company to oversee while, while I was gone. I was probably as shocked as everybody else getting the promotion while I was on leave. But what I would say is I didn't, everyone was supportive of me going on leave, but I was very candid about it. And I wasn't passive in the plan for the company while I was on leave. So I went to my boss and I said, okay, I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a kid. I'm going to be out during this time period. Here's my plan and strategy for what I'm going to do before I go on leave to make sure it gets covered. Here's where I'm going to cover everything while I am on leave. And then here's, you know, and so I kind of dictated how my role would be handled while I was gone. And my boss loved that. He was very appreciative of that because it kind of, one, it gave me some security and ensuring that everything was getting taken care of. But two, the company didn't have to worry about how do we fill this or if, you know, this person's gone. But I was so terrified that I would be replaced because I was the only person who did my job. And all of a sudden, if I trained somebody else, yeah. you know, is that there? And then I also, after having kids, your schedule adjusts, things adjust, things change. Mommy brain is a hundred percent real. I'm very candid with people that it was about nine months before I felt like I could think properly and probably a full 18 <laughs> months before I felt normal, any kind of normalcy again. And so you try to work through it, but I had people around me who just had kids themselves. They understood it. We were a flexible working environment in terms of if I said I had to work from home, I'll work from home this day because my kids are sick or we have to take them to the pediatrician. I'm also a hard worker. I'm not a, I only work from eight to five. If you know, if I'm doing something, I'll work in the evening. If I need to, I'll make it up. But I think there's a little bit of, if you take a bit of control over your destiny before you go on leave and kind of create the plan, I think that's really helpful. And you don't sit there and wait for the company to tell you how they're going to handle it while you're gone. That was, I think, one of the big ones for me. And then, you know, just being pretty candid with people, you know, I'd be like, look, I'll sit there and say, my three-year-old had a meltdown this morning. I'm going to be 15 minutes late because three-year-olds have meltdowns and this is yeah. how it is. <laughs> I think understanding that I'm the same way with my team. One of my team members right now, her kids have a fever and we all know that you can't take your kid back to school until they're 24 hours fever free. So anytime your kid has a fever, it's at least 48 hours, if not 72 hours, you have to be at home with the kid. And that's fine. We can work remotely and as needed in today's society. We can take care of kids. It's just, I think, communicating and being aware and being transparent and trying to be proactive and not letting the company just figure it out while you're gone. But it's hard. I mean, it's just hard for everybody. New fathers, new mothers, it's hard. I really like that you mentioned about kind of the plan and strategy that you had before you went on leave. It's so important. And I want to say it again to everybody listening. When you know you're going to have a baby, make sure you set up a call with HR, with your boss, you tell them what the plan is for before you leave, while you're gone, and also when you get back. And yeah. I did that exactly the way you did because I was also afraid to be replaced. I was the only one doing you know, what I was doing, but I truly felt like I had control over my career at that point where a lot of women feel like they lose control and they say, oh, I don't know what they're gonna do with me and I, I don't know when I'm coming back, to what role. And if you look, you should be having a meeting with HR. It's like almost part of all companies to what are you going to be doing? When are you coming back? How long is your leave? And then when you get back, you also need to have a meeting with HR and with your boss to say, what do the next six months look of me reintegrating myself? And so it's crucial that you do that. So I'm really happy you mentioned that because you do have to take ownership in that period yeah. of driving your career. And I would also add that I think the non-birth parent, the father, the spouse 
should also take the leave. We often think birth mothers can do it all, both recover from giving birth and take care of a newborn. And no, (laughs) no, you need a second person there to take care of a newborn while you are recovering. You know, I mean, think about it. I just had very minor medical procedure, everything was fine, but a minor medical procedure where at outpatient surgery, had to come home, be home for two days. It was the first time since I had birth that I had a medical issue where I could just sit there and I didn't have to also take care of a kid while I was recovering. And that I think we have to recognize that the mother is recovering. That's why she's taking the time off. She's not taking the time off to take care of the newborn. That's why you need the other parent there. The other parent is there to take care of the newborn while the mom is recovering. Mm -hmm. And there are two different people who are being served by the leave. And I think we need to normalize and recognize that. So I also think all fathers or the non-birth parent, absolutely take your leave. Take it in the way that makes sense for you and your family. The way we offer it at TGS is you have 12 weeks over a six-month period of time, so you can stagger it as makes sense for your family, but you need to take it as well. It's just as important. So, Thank you. Yeah, it's all about normalizing, especially for the men stepping into those roles. Yeah. So to end the podcast, we had a question for you on just some advice. So as a successful female executive in a male-dominated industry, what personal traits do you think have helped you become a great leader? And what changes do you think we still need to do in the industry to increase the number of women in leadership roles? Because even though we've done a great job over the, let's say, the last 10 years, we've seen a big increase, it's still very small. It is too small and it still need to encourage people to get into the roles. So what I would say to women going out there, ignore the self-doubt. I had so much self-doubt about why I was in the room, if I deserved to be in the room, if I was just as good as everybody else in the room. And I think because of that, I probably wasn't as assertive or aggressive in opportunities that could have otherwise been available to me. If you are in the room, take advantage of being in the room, take whatever opportunity is there, ignore any doubt that's telling you why you got in the room. It's not because of pity. It's not because of your gender. You're in the room for a reason. And that is, I wish I had ignored self-doubt a bit more growing up. And then the other piece that I would say, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I work in an office full of incredibly intelligent people who have multiple PhDs and all of this. But what I do know is I will work just as hard, if not harder than anybody else in the room, and I will commit and complete a task and project. And so you don't have to be the smartest person to be successful. I think hard work and being dedicated and fulfilling your commitments is just as if not more important than how smart you might be in any technical skill. And I love people on my team and I love working with people who take the initiative. They sit there and say, okay, what is it we're trying to solve and how can I help you do that? And not just, oh, you asked me to do this. I'm just going to do that. And I really think that's part of the things that I've just inherently done. But as I work with women, I tend to think, I'm not trying to stereotype people into certain categories, but The women I have worked with have a really good understanding of how to solve problems. I don't know if it's women who just because they've been taking care of kids or not, but they can see something from start to finish and how to accomplish something. That is a great skill. It doesn't matter what field you're in, but being able to see how something works from start to finish and accomplishing it, you'll be successful in whatever industry you are if you can prove that you can do that time and time again. So that's my advice to people is just hard work is what you really need. So. 
Whitney, I don't know a better way to close than that. I think throughout your whole podcast and your journey that you have shared with us, you have given so much great advice, especially on being a parent and how companies can support you and how your partners can support you. And that's just like invaluable information. So we just really thank you for coming on. We're really proud of where you're at today and for you to also overcome so many of those mental challenges to the mental health challenges and you sharing that means a lot to us, especially in this time in our world where that's a very, I would say a growing issue as far as people not communicating it. So thank you for opening up and we really appreciate your time today. And thank you for sharing your journey with us on the podcast. Well, thank you both of you. And I really appreciate being given the opportunity to talk about my experiences in my life. Because again, the self-doubt will tell me that I'm not one of those people who have warranted that yet. But I do think what the two of you are doing is absolutely amazing for both women, for our industry and overall, you know, just society. So thank you and keep it up. Thanks, Whitney. And if you liked this podcast, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And if you hadn't had a chance to check out our new website, we'd love to have you join us and see us there. And you can always leave us a message at our contact us. So thank you. See you on the next one.